0: to the mini break. Your daily Podcast For the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world, today is Saturday, November 7th. We finally know who is going to be rounding out our field in London at the 2020 ATP year-end championships. Diego Schwartzman clinching his spot in the event after Pablo Carreno Busta loses his quarterfinal match on Friday in Paris. Of course, there was a bunch of other fantastic action in Paris. Two of those quarterfinal matches going the distance. We've also got Challenger in Italy, in Germany, ITF action happening across the globe. Really fun time to be a professional tennis fan, and of course, we want to soak it all up as this is one of the final three weekends of the year where we will see ATP or WTA action. Uh, So let's enjoy that as tennis fans, and of course, I want to today recap our quarterfinals from Friday, talk about what we can expect to see, you know, Saturday, Sunday, who these top performers are going to be. Of course, the reason we are able to do this day in, day out here at Crack Crack, Rackets, not only because of the fans fantastic support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, but of course, because of the support we get from our friends over at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, you know what we say, look good, feel good, play good, Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets, go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, go to Aerobar.com, use the promo code Cracked15, get a little bit of money off your deals, let them know that we sent you there, it's the best of both words, you'll have everything you need, whether it be from an equipment standpoint, from a nutrition standpoint, Midwest sports, Aero Bar, uh, Cracked Rackets, look good, feel good play good. All right, with that in mind, we'll keep today on the shorter side. Just going to be me steering the ship, although I promise you we've got some really fun stuff on the horizon starting next week for all of you Cracked Rackets fans. We're going to start kicking off our college tennis coverage of the 2021 season. We've got Manny Diaz, Adam Steinberg, coaches of Georgia and Michigan, respectfully scheduled for you on the Cracked Interviews front. We've also got conversations. I'll just give away all of the names. John Michael Gamble, James Blake, both going to be on the podcast either next week or some time in the next 10 days. Those interviews already recorded. It's a matter of when, not if, they will be released because we've got the audio, folks. Uh, we're just trying to make sure we don't overwhelm you with too many podcasts at once, but that's what we've been up to here at Crack Rackets. Of course, you can expect more from our writers as well. We brought on Judson. We brought on David. We've got Matt the Cracks, Koyak, Chris Hallioris, myself, going to get back into the game. Of course, we've got some other really fun video content as well on our YouTube channel. Uh, I know our friend Wyatt Metzger is working on a really fun series. We did. I don't want to give it all away. We did it with Cameron Mofid, who, of course, part of the Nick Kyrios Foundation has done so many cool things. That's going to be really fun. I think all of you listeners will enjoy that. And then, of course, we've also got our newest series, decision uh, the, deci- the Decision Point. Sorry, this shows you what I've been watching. A lot of election coverage this week, but uh, The Deciding Point, Jamie McDonald and I breaking down the biggest stories from each week in tennis, having a little bit of fun as we do so as well can find all of that on our YouTube channel. Of course, for all of our content, the place to go is crackedrackets.com. All right, with that in mind, let's get to the action in Paris. And again, I feel like you got to be six foot six or Rafael Nadal uh, to get on the roller coaster here in Paris this week. We've got some big boys left as we head to the semifinals. Of course, it was a really fun day of quarterfinal action. Let's start with the match that ended 7-6 in the third, and it feels like if Hugo Umber is playing a match, it's probably going to a third set, and honestly, as of late, more likely than not, it feels like, it's also probably going to end up going uh, to a third set breaker as well. You look for Hugo Umber, obviously, most notably here this week, he. He goes 7 6 in the third with Sitsipas. He goes 7 6 in the third over Casper Ruud. You look at what he's done over these past couple of weeks. You see 7 6 set victories for him down a set in, to stay alive against Dan Evans. He beats Lloyd Harris 3 and 6. He beats Alex Dimonauer 1 and 6. That's in uh, Antwerp, of course. He's just, you know, this is a guy who's had a ton of success here down the home stretch, and you can just see the confidence he's playing with. He goes down a 6 3 first set to Milos Raonic. He bounces right back, takes the second 6 3. Runs out to a 6 4 lead in the breaker. But ultimately, it's Milos Raonic who comes back to win this match 6 3, 3 6, 7 6. This match was delightful. I mean, I'm all in on the Uko Umbert train, folks. I have to say, and we've talked about him a lot, so I don't have to repeat myself, but the guy Scott has Huevos, there's no other way to put him, or I don't know how to say eggs Louvre. I, I, I don't remember how to say eggs in French, but whatever you do, he's got him. right? He's got a nice. Uh, he is. In the biggest, I was going to say he's got a nice set of... Probably can't say that West. I probably have to quack that out. But um, yeah, it's just like uh, he—he can play. He's in the biggest moments. He is not afraid of it. He will go down the line. He will go for the big serve. Hit the on the run shot. Just you know, that's what he did. He did such a good job of keeping Milos Raonic honest in this match. And you know, there was plenty of picking on the Milos Raonic backhand side. And all week long, when talking about Raonic wins, I've said Raonic going to Raonic, right? Well, what does that mean? It means the first serve is going to set up a lot of the things he does, and then so much of his success, of course, predicated on holding serve. He hits the big first serve, hits the big plus one forehand, tries to move into the net. You're going to get a healthy diet of backhand slices as well. Every so often, he'll hit through that backhand, go down the line, but more frequently than not, the game for him is cheating over to that ad side, finding a first forehand, and going from there. And Hugo Humbert just, you know, yes, he was disciplined, you know, he's a lefty, so he was able to find that Reunich backhand side with his forehand a little bit more open up the court with angle, really use the out-wide serve on the ad side, really pepper that backhand on the deuce side with his serve as well, and, you know, again, when Ranich would try to cheat over to hit the inside-in forehand on the ad side, Umber was comfortable going down the line, taking balls early, taking some chances, but... I mean, Milos Raonic in this match, the grind at 6-4, that match point, Ra- Raonic just, you know, it was the, it the epitomized everything he wants to do, right? Uh, Umber was able to find the backhand side, Raonic went slice, sliced, keep the ball low to Umber's, and uh, um, keep the ball low to the Umbear forehand, and give himself time to cheat over on that ad side. He finally finds it first, inside-in forehand, inside-in, inside-out, inside-in, he moves forward, backhand, drop volley, Umber does track it down, but it's a wide open court, all Milos Raonic has. To do is make the ball. He does 5 6. Now he's back on serve, gets it to 7 6. You know, uh, a good point for 7 all for Umber. Ranuj gets another break of serve after a loose air, and then it's an ace to put the match away. And look, the last place you want to be against Milos Ranich is in a tiebreaker, but. Hugo Umber was up 6-4. He had the match point. He didn't... Maybe he got a little bit tentative. He probably could have gone after one of those round backhand slices instead of just kind of lazily just trying to get the ball back cross-court on that 6-4 point, but... Man, Ugo is a stud. I, I made the case earlier. I would have been totally cool with Ugo Umber being the eighth person in the year-end finals if they were just like, hey, Ugo, we took a vote, and the player council decided you've been playing really, really well, and it would just be more entertaining for everyone if you were there, so you're going to be the eighth spot, but this was a fantastic win for Milos Rionic. This was not your serve bot tennis-pouring sort of uh, aggressive play. This was really fun, and it's a testament to Ugo Umber who made this match so fun, but this was a really, really good performance from Milos. Rayonich, who, by the way, with this result, uh, reaches his 12th Masters 1000 semifinal. He's now the second player, or excuse me, he has the second largest amount of Masters semifinals without a title that comes from at Luca Beck. It goes, Fernando Gonzalez has 8, Richard Gasquet has 8, Nishikori has 11, Milos Rayonich has 12, and then Evgeny Kofilnikov, 18 semifinals with no titles. That is brutal for Evgeny. I'm sure it makes it that much more enjoyable for the Russian fans that Hatch got the title, that Medvedev that, you know, got the title, that Rublev seems to be right there as well, but uh, again, for Milos Raonic, that was a really good performance, a really enjoyable match, and for Ugo Umber, whether he plays in Sofia next week or not, and I believe he pulled out, and he really should, because I can only imagine what his legs feel like right now. Uh, 2020 was an unequivocal victory for him, and I cannot wait to see what he looks like because he's right around the top 30 now, and I think we all agree after seeing this run that top 30 feels like a floor, not a ceiling for him, and I think we're all excited to see what that ceiling might end up being. So for Hugo Humbert, yeah, you look at where he's at right now in the live rankings, he is up to a new career high of number 30 exactly. That's awesome for the Frenchman, and a great victory again for Milos Raonic as well. The other three-set match on the day, Rafael Nadal moves to seven and zero all time against Pablo Carino Busta as he overcomes an early first-set uh, deficit. He breaks late in the second set, runs away with the third. Four, six, seven, five, six, one. What feels so notable, and you know the reason Rafa hasn't won the year-end championships. Why is he struggles indoor hard courts? Just the ball doesn't bite as much. It hangs a little bit more. It's not as, nearly as effective. I mean, after watching him hit forehands on clay and backhands on clay, it just doesn't penetrate the court court uh the an indoor hard court the way uh his ball the way it does on a clay court and that's not new information by the way to anyone it's just striking to see because perhaps the transition from outdoor clay to indoor hard courts never usually this quick and so uh it has been i suppose noticeable to say the least and I will say even if after he wins this match Rafa and by the way really impressive 42 of 52 on first serve points for him he really is getting he's such a good volleyer now it's not even an underrated thing he is just a good freaking volleyer at this point but uh, I think what's so notable uh, for Rafa is that he does feel the need. Clearly, his return position has gotten more aggressive. Clearly, he does feel the need to come forward more. He understands that game that won him so many matches on hardcore when he could just out-athlete anyone. That's not really there anymore for him. It's not that it's not there. It's that it's that much more difficult to pull off because of how good some of these young other athletes are. And, you know, he's just, regardless of if he wins in Paris or not, he is not my favorite heading into the year-end championships. On an indoor hard court, I just, I don't love it. it. It just, the ball feels a little bit vulnerable. It's sits up a little bit more, he can get a little bit passive, still a fantastic win for Rafa over an informed Pablo Carreno Busta, who, again, another guy who's going to go back to into this offseason with his head held high, thinking he had a great 2020, but uh, for Rafa Nadal, he manages to escape in this one, 4-6, 7-5, 6-1 to advance to the semifinals, where, again, if Milos Raonic isn't tall enough to, in my opinion, players' definition of your modern body types, Daniil Medvedev, who... Finally found it, Six three six one over Diego Schwartzman. He's in form now, folks. I mean, the first serve in this match, he was rocketing them down the tee, out wide. He makes 76% of them. Guess what he went. Guess what they went. I'm hearing. I'm listening for your guesses. Guess a little bit louder, please. I can't hear that listener. Oh, wow. That was a really good list guess from you uh, in the in the driver's seat right there. Great guess. Focus on the wheel. You know, focus on the road. Don't listen to me. I, I mean, do listen to me. But anyways, leave all of that in, West off. 27 of 28 On the first serve point, 27 of 28 for Daniil Medvedev. In case you forgot... He's six foot six, and on an indoor hard court, if you're six foot six, tennis is really easy. Uh, it's not really easy, but it's a lot easier. And for I mean, for Medvedev, it's you know he's a sneaky good volleyer. Yeah, he gets a little bit passive, but if you get him to the outer thirds, that's actually exactly where he wants to be. He wants to hit the dipping passing shot, have you hit about you know a drop volley, and he tracks it down. It's a two shot passing shot combo. He does such a good job of dipping that first one at the feet, so even if it comes back, he's going to get a second look, but. I mean, he was just on top of Diego Schwartzman's game from start to finish. He was the aggressor. It was, it was a really good performance for Medvedev, 3-1 and one to advance to the semifinals. And, you know, our fourth semifinalist, we've talked about him earlier this week. I'll say it again from here on in. He who must not be named, I'll refer to him as Lord Voldemort. He wins 3-6 and six over Stan Wawrinka. And, look... It's very difficult to separate an athlete from what an athlete's from an athlete's personality, from what an athlete does off of the court, of course. And you know, we are not trying to do that by talking about Alex Zverev's game. It's simply a reality. He is out on court playing tennis, and it's incredibly indicting and borderline despicable that the ATP has just remained silent on this Alex Zverev uh, story, on the fact that they haven't spoken out. You know, not even a pen, uh, tentative suspension or a tentative anything until they conduct their own investigation. I mean, it's a joke. It's It's an absolute joke. That being said, he is on court. He's now won something like, what, his last 12 matches or something crazy like that. I do think Lord Voldemort, at this point in his career, might be the best player on an indoor hard court in all of men's tennis. I mean, with that serve, when he's firing at, you know, just 130 bombs, the fact that the forehand looks better and better, the fact that he actually has become a more comfortable volleyer, the fact that physically, you know, he's filled out exactly how you would have projected and hoped when he was first breaking onto the scene five years ago go. I mean, 37 of 46 on first serve points one. It doesn't matter that you're only six of 16 on the second serve when you're making 74% of your first serve. So, you know, he's four for four on break point chances as well. Lord Voldemort advances to the semifinals where he will take on Rafa tomorrow. And again, from a tennis perspective, it's going to be a fan. Zverev, Medvedev, Nadal. That's phenomenal. That's about as ideal of a Final Four as you can cast in terms of, again, a tennis perspective. Uh, and we look forward to watching semifinal Saturday, championship Sunday unfold in Paris. Of course, again, worth noting that with this loss from Correo Busta, Diego Schwartzman will be your eighth player in London. Congratulations to Diego Schwartzman. Well deserved. And as we like to say in my. Uh, in my culture, of course, Diane. You, uh, you know, congratulations to you, Diego Schwartzman. It was sufficient. Your career is uh, that. Uh, you know, uh, that's that it's it's well worth. It. You have des- you know, he has certainly been one of the top 10 players this year. It's been a time coming anyways. There's no one out there in the tennis world who feels uh you know, who isn't happy, I should say, for Diego Schwartzman in this moment. So again, that's your action in Paris. Let's go quickly across the Challenger World where it's going to be again a really really fun uh semi-final day in Parma. You've got Cedric Marcel-Stebb, who's been playing so well of late, and Liam Brody, who wins 7-6, 4-6, 7-6 over Max Cressy in a match that, I promise you, looked exactly how it sounded. Let's just quickly, on the Cressy note, how many break points do you think Cressy faced in this match, listeners? Again, I'm listening for your guesses. Okay, I hear it in the back of the crowd. You're correct. Congrats in the Ford Explorer. Zero. Zero. Break points in this match. That's how many Max Cressy faced. Didn't get broken once. Still loses the match in two tiebreakers. That's frustrating, but that's tennis sometimes. So congrats to Liam Brody, who's been really, really good uh, here since the tour restarted. Uh, you've also got Andrea Arnabaldi, three-set winner over Federico Silva, and Quentin Hallis, uh the former very you know former top what five. ITF World Junior in the World 6-6 and victory over young Italian Vanni So he moves on to the semifinals in Germany. Young Sebastian Korda continues his ascension towards the top 100. Feels like again... It's a matter of when, not if it's going to happen. 4-4 four and four victory for him over Alexey Popperin in a match that was very fun. On the hard indoor carpets, you also had a victory from Ilya Avashka, 4-4 four and four over Hussler. Ram- Romanathan, 2-1 and one over Donskoy. That's a surprising scoreline for me. And then Marvin Muller, 6-4, six, 6-2 six, over young Camille, Mat- Camille Matrasek. I don't know how young he is anymore, but that's a really good win for Muller to advance. To the semifinals, and again, uh, we'll continue to cover that action on tonight's podcast for tomorrow and talk about the championships as they unfold for Sebi Korda. Let's see, where is Sebastian Korda right now in the live rankings? He's at number 122, which is a new career high. If he wins, uh, makes the final, wins this title, he will get up into the top uh, 120. He will be at like right around number 116 with a title here this week. That'd be pretty good for the 20-year-old that would be again a step forward now it's just a matter for him of staying healthy staying on court uh but that is your action at the challenger level now quickly i do want to just talk about one more development of course all of us wondering is play going to start on time in australia in 2021 well lucas Lacco who is one of the must follows on twitter if you want updates on what's going on at from the atp politics player council perspective he offers up an us up in update saying quote uh you know you know, this is from the player council hey everyone we would like to give you an update following the player council meeting this last sunday unfortunately the government in australia haven't given enough information to allow a decision to be made yet management understands the priority of this in our on calls daily with tennis australia australian open is confirmed what needs to be finalized are the first two weeks of tournaments beforehand and what the quarantine period looks like we will make sure there are playing opportunities for all players leading into ao as of now competing in quarantine is not approved by the local government. We know this is hard to understand. How can we practice in quarantine but not compete in quarantine? But this is what has been decided by the government. Tennis Australia is petitioning to change this. So the current status is that we need to remain patient and hopefully have more info ASAP. I agree. Hopefully we have more info ASAP because all of us looking forward to that 2021 season, all of us praying, of course, that it is able to start on time and that we can ensure the safety and health of not just the players, but any participant, any organizer in the event as well. And then we're all, you know, looking closer, looking more and more forward to the day when we can return to having our normal sized crowds in the app at- uh, and to create that tennis atmosphere as well. But that's your update for now on where things stand in Australia. And of course, that is your update on. Where we are at for this weekend's events. If you have missed anything from these past couple of weeks in the professional tennis world, go check out our website, CrackRackets.com. You can find this podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast, Great Shot Podcast, and Inside Out Season One, all available there. And of course, listen, like, rate, subscribe, review, wherever you listen to your podcast. Of course, you need those more immediate updates Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an adding job they do day in, day out. Shout out, of course, as well to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com. Use the promo code Cracked15. But with that in mind, for our wonderful friends at Aerobar and Midwest Sports, our super producers, Max Flieger and Daniel Westhoff, our friends, and all of us, I should say, here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Come on.